You may remember, and if you're new, 1 Corinthians chapters 1 to chapters 4 is about the unity in the local church. Chapters 5 through chapter 7 talks about the physical body and sexual purity and purity with regard to food. Chapters 8 through 10 talk more specifically about the role of food and law-keeping. Chapters uh, 11 to 14 are about worship how we are to worship as a new covenant people of God. And then chapter 15 talks about the beauty of the bodily resurrection of Christ. And so we are in chapter 6. So I'm going to read verses 12 through 20 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And if you're able, would you stand together for the reading of God's word? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 12 through 20. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I take then the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have for, who you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And this is the word of the Lord. Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Presbyterian Church in Owasso, Oklahoma. Our passion is to show that grace changes everything in Jesus Christ by equipping you to rest in worship, grow in community, and rediscover your calling. To join our body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at trinityowasso.com. At the heart of this passage is an important issue in our own culture. Because our own culture is confused by what it means to be embodied. Now, to be embodied, children, just means to have a physical body. Let me see your fingers. Can we point your fingers? All the kiddos in the room, yeah, let me see. And the adults, I see your adults. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, let's make, it, let's make it a little show and tell. So your fingers, your toes, your body, your physical presence is important to Jesus. And what it means to live as embodied human beings is perhaps even more important for us today than it was to the Corinthians because there is even more confusion about what it means to be embodied today. We can see this in the common acceptance of casual sex where we just treat bodies as objects for people's personal pleasure. You see it in all the confusion about gender dysphoria. 
You see it in overeating and in self-indulgent appetites on the one hand and on the other. You see it in the near idolatrous fixation on this health food craze and the exercise culture that so many people get swept up and caught up in about the body. You see it in practices like cutting, anorexia, bulimia. You even see it in abortion where the argument is over what the body is, who owns the body, and, and what can one do with one's body. All of these issues are sourced in a confusion about what it means to be embodied and to have a physical body. Last week, in, in the, uh, or two weeks ago in the candlelight service, if you were there, you know that there was a, a reflection, a preparation for worship for that candlelight service by J.I. Packer. And I'm going to read it to us again because it speaks about the beauty of the incarnation, about what it means to be embodied. It says this, It is here, that is in the incarnation, in the thing that happened at the first Christmas, that the most profound and unfathomable depths of the Christian revelation lie. God became man, and the Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wiggle and make noises needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets, Packer writes. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as the truth of the incarnation. Amen? Amen. So for those of us who are Christians, this word incarnation is a big word. It just means that Jesus took on physical flesh. He became a human being. In not only did he come down to take on human flesh, but that Jesus today, right now, is at the Father's right hand in flesh. That is staggering. That the second person of the Holy Trinity, who existed for all eternity, took on a body. And in so taking on that body, he does not feel limited by taking on that flesh. He does not feel like he is imprisoned in the body. He is fully human. He is fully God. And he did not see him taking on human flesh as some kind of captivity. He exists now in flesh for all eternity at the Father's right hand. And that is a staggering truth that teaches us that God loves the human body and that God has a purpose for it. And he values the body. You are not your own. So glorify God in your body, with your body, and for the body. So let's talk a little bit about what it means as Christians to be embodied people with physical bodies today because that's what Paul is driving toward in this passage. First, what does it mean to glorify God in your body? If you have a pen, you might underline the preposition in. In the body. What does that mean? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul is writing to a group of people who believed it was okay to just unite with prostitutes, that it was okay to be sexually free. And he says in verse 12, he says, all things are lawful for me. 
Now, this was a catchphrase that Paul probably used with the Corinthians when he was there earlier. It was a jingle that they may have created to summarize Paul's teaching. That you're, listen, you're not bound by food laws. You're not bound by the laws of the Old Testament. You're free in Christ. And so you can see how the Corinthians would have said, hey, all things are lawful for me, which is true. And so Paul repeats their catchphrase, all things are, are lawful for me. And yet, he gives a word of caution. Not everything is beneficial. Here's Paul's word of caution, the first of two words of caution. Look at the text. He says, as Christians, we are free from the tyranny of law-keeping and moral performance as a means to please Christ. In Jesus, we may eat some foods, but that doesn't mean that eating those foods are spiritually good for me necessarily. And the body matters. An unrestrained freedom in the body ultimately leads, if it's unrestrained, it ultimately leads to self-centered indulgence and deeper impression, oppression. So you know what this is like. If you just cast away your diet and ate whatever you wanted to, you find soon enough that perhaps you're addicted to food. Lauren goes to Costco once a month and she, dry, she buys dried mangoes. And my kids in the front row can testify how true this is. Dried mangoes, I'm a sitting duck when she brings those dried mangoes home because I, I know they're just dried mangoes, but oh, they become so much more than dried mangoes. I need those dried mangoes. I come home from work after talking to you on the phone or counseling with you and I eat what? Dried mangoes. It's Saturday night. And we're watching a movie together and Lauren, you know, Lauren will get something healthy and whatever. What do I go? I go for dried mangoes. And so these dried mangoes become, there's something so simple and silly, but man, they become something that I'm like, oh my gosh, we're out of dried mangoes. Go to Costco. And thankfully, Costco is coming to us. <laughs> so the drive to dried mangoes will be even shorter here in about a year and a half. But Paul is driving the point home to say, listen, your body will ultimately lead you into self-centered indulgence and oppression if you have unrestrained freedom with it. And so he gives a second word of caution. All things are lawful for me, yes, but I will not be dominated by anything. There's a threat that we will become in bondage to the very thing that we use for self-expression if we are not thinking about it through the lens of the gospel. Jonathan Edwards said it this way, all things are in my power, but I will not be overpowered by anything because in bondage, there is a loss of joy. And some of you this morning can tell your own stories of loss of joy. Some of you in this room have struggled with addiction to alcohol, to food, to avoiding food, to cutting I mean, some of your addictions run deep and they're intimate and they're very personal. You can, you can tell your own stories. And if you're here and you struggle with an addiction that has a grip on you, then I just want to encourage you, would you pray? Would you pray about coming and letting me connect you with people who can help you work through that addiction together with you? Would you just pray about it? I'm not asking you to do it now, but I'm asking you to pray about it. Would you have the courage to come and admit that? 
and let's begin to work on what freedom in your life looks like with that particular addiction. There are men in this church who've been freed from addiction to alcohol after it had grips on them for years. The stories of men freed from pornography in this church are unbelievable. We can't tell them because they're hard to tell in public, but man, it's beautiful. And if you think that you are above addiction, oof, watch your heart lest you too will fall. And pray for your elders and for me and for my family and for yours because, guys, we're all in it together. We have to be aware of those habits that we form that are hard to break may not be wise habits to form in the first place. In verse 13, Paul gives religious food and laws as an example of this domination. In, in, the, in the, the Greco-Roman world, sex and gluttony often went together. And so verse 13, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. We, we, are, not, we are not saved through obedience to food laws, but only through the law of faith, only in faith in what Jesus has done for us as the one who perfectly obeyed the Old Testament commandments perfectly so that we, in our union with Christ, might be able to be reconciled to God the Father. Jesus accomplished that for us. And we are free now in our Christian liberty not to gratify the desires of our sinful nature. Romans chapter 6 and we're also free to live with an unbounded freedom and opportunity to show the full scope of God's love for the world. Your freedom is a freedom to love. And yet sin twists that freedom into a kind of deep, dark addiction that isolates you, makes you feel like you're alone and that other people are holier or healthier than you. No, they're not. They may struggle in different ways than you do. Bring it to the light. That's what epiphany is all about from darkness to light. And if you're in sin and you're struggling with that, drag it to the light. Things in the light don't live very long. Pull it. Pull it into the light. Why should you do that? Because verse 14, because God raised the Lord and will also raise us up. How? By his. And do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ's. That's the motivation. That our bodies, our physical bodies, will be raised with His. And we are members of Christ. Jesus' resurrection was the first step in the general resurrection of all of God's people. And Jesus' body and our bodies are eternal. If you're in Christ, you will be raised, just as Nathan showed us in the last question of the New City Catechism. You will live in resurrected bodies. Thomas touched the wounds in Jesus' side. You will have a physical body for all of creation. And so, therefore, you should not worship the body. It's not yet glorified. But on the other hand, do not mistreat your body because it will be glorified. Don't worship the body because it's not yet glorified. But don't mistreat your body because it will be glorified. You glorify your God in your body. Now, how do you do that? It's point number two. Glorify God with your body. At the time that Paul wrote this to the Corinthians, 
uh, religion in the Greco-Roman world was more like philosophy we think of today. Because religion in the Greco-Roman world didn't have a category called ethics that controlled what you did day in and day out. It was more a set of religious rituals that you did. You sacrificed to ancestors or, or you did certain religious um, um, uh, things together as a culture. But it didn't speak specifically in Corinth or in Rome to the ethical practices of day in and day out living. And so the gospel, when it came to Corinth, was so radical because it permeated all of life. And it said that the gospel speaks to the way you live day in and day out. And therefore, the way you treat your body is crucially important to what it means to live a life in Christ. And so Paul says, your body is an example of your witness. And so there are people in Corinth who thought that the bodies were to be pure. So you'd set the body apart. You would, you would keep your body only for things that are pure. And so some husbands, for example, would not have sex with their own wives to keep their wives pure. It was a messed up view of marriage. And they would therefore take pleasure in prostitutes to preserve the purity of their wife. And they wouldn't even let their wife have an opinion about that. The sexual, um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? The, um, like, the, the standards were not consistent across the line. Women were mistreated in this area of their life in very misogynistic, patriarchal, and disgusting ways. So some people said, you got to keep the body pure. So they, they avoided certain foods. They would often shave the hair off of their arms or their legs to keep them pure as a sign of purity. Other people thought, well, uh, you know, my body is not the perfect purity vessel. My body is just a flesh vessel, and I can do with it whatever I want. And so you had another camp who were like, that's not the real me. It's just a body. The real me is the soul. And so they would just do whatever they wanted to. And so this wasn't just divided between men and women, although there were trends in that way. But there were people who viewed the body just as a, as a flesh vessel. And so Paul says in verse 6.15 to the flesh vessel camp, that people who just wanted to do whatever they wanted to, shall I then take members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Meganoito, never. Or do you not know that those, that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? Sex is to be enjoyed only within marriage, Paul says. And then in 6b, the second half of verse 6, 16b, the second half of verse 16, Paul counters the purity vessel camp, the flawless vessel camp. My body is pure, people. And he says, he quotes Genesis 2, 24, for it is written, the two will become one flesh. Sex is to be enjoyed within marriage. Marriage is God's designed, joy-filled place for sex. Sex is not wrong. It is to be enjoyed within the confines of God's design because sex bonds man and wife together. And in the same way, it is a picture that he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him, as verse 17 says. So, Corinthians at the time would have seen radical social implications. And they see it perhaps better than we do today. And the word that Paul uses here for sexual immorality is the Greek word perneia. And in that time, as I've already alluded to, it only 
uh, related to women. That sexual immorality could only be prescribed to a woman. Shocking, isn't it? And so here Paul comes, the great defender of women's rights in the first century, and he says, this isn't not just for women, men. This also applies to you, Christian. Shape up. Heads up. And he says that fornication didn't just apply to women. That's so sexist. Christianity was far more progressive in this way than the culture around it. And he says, verse 18 through 20, flee not only women, but also men. Flee men and women, implied there by the command, from sexual immorality. For every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. And do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Whom you have from God. It is God who makes us. We, we be, a husband and wife begets a child. They don't make a child. God makes the child, and he blesses the family with children, for those of you who have children. Husbands and wives beget children, but only God makes children. It is God who makes the body. And in this world, this, I'm, I'm going to use an example here that is, it is not more sinful than other sins. So don't hear me say that by using this as an example. I'm going to use it because it's relatively new to us and we don't know how to navigate through it. There was, um, in, in Midland, Michigan, not long ago at Planet Fitness, there was, there was a woman who complained to management because in the women's locker room at Planet Fitness in Midland, Michigan, there, there, was, there was a man. And she came to complain and says, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not comfortable. There's a man. And, and, and the, the management said, well, no, he is... She is trans. She is a woman. And the woman who complained was like, no, nah, I'm pretty sure she's not a woman. And she felt com- uncomfortable by this. And so she, and so she, she, she complained to, to the management. And to her shock, what she found out is that she actually had her membership revoked from Planet Fitness because of discrimination. And all she was trying to do was bring attention to the fact that, I'm sorry, I'm not comfortable being in a locker room where there's somebody dressing who has the, of the opposite gender, though they claim. This is what, um, there's, a, there's a philosopher who coined the term, um, uh, the technological impediment, and his name was Jacques Ellul. And he's a French philosopher. And what he says is that when the technology or the freedom of a culture allows for some sin or some technological advancement to exist, someone will fill that gap in. Regardless of if it's right or not, it will always be filled in. So if the technology exists, for example, to be able to shape and mold your child, if TJ and Anna could shape and mold their baby boy exactly blue eyes and and dark hair, they they, they could order the child. If that technology exists, TJ and Anna would probably not be interested in that at all, right? But somebody out there will be. When the technology exists, Elul says it's called the technological imperative. In any culture, when the technology develops such that you can do something, someone will feel an imperative, a sense of draw to do it. And right now, in our culture, there is a social technological imperative, and it's called gender dysphoria. And people are rushing to fill in the gaps. But it is God who makes our body, not us. But there's radical confusion about this that somehow we are the ones who determine what our body should 
be. Another example is there is an amazing swimmer at the University of Pennsylvania. You may have heard about this in the news. Just all Ivy League honors crushed uh, the competition, and he decided to become trans. And now Leah Thomas swims as a woman at the University of Pennsylvania and is crushing the competition because she is now trans. And so what I'm bringing this issue up because this is part of what it means to be embodied. In Corinth, it was about prostitution. And yes, that should also be something we're concerned about. Yes. But it's also how do we as a church handle? And there may be even somebody in this room. That are, and, and I just want to say, welcome. We're so glad you're here. We love you. We want you to be here. But we have to recognize what does it mean for us to navigate new waters of sexual freedom and identity that have to do with the body because the technological imperative will cause us as a civilization, if you equate technological advancement with what is always good, when it's not always right, because you, we have misplaced who defines the human body and who makes us. Friends, it is the Lord who makes us. We do not define our bodies. It is the Lord who does. And if that's just something that you're struggling with, I just want to say to you, welcome. We're so glad you're here. And we're not looking at you. We're not looking at you. We're, we're with you. Because you don't even know the darkness of our own hearts. We could all stand up here and be exhibit A of brokenness and sin. But there is freedom in living in light of the way God has designed you to live. And it's interesting now, too, to watch the management of Planet Fitness struggle. At first, they referred to the woman as a he, and then they had to be careful with their words, and now they had to refer to her as a she. It became very confusing. Do you use the pronoun they ask you to use? Do you not? It's very, it's very, it's very tough. And some of you, this is a closer situation uh, to home than others, indeed. And there is, in, for those of you who are in the legal world, there's a thing called invidious discrimination, which means, for example, um, if, you were, if you were somebody who was, was a, a, a trans man or a woman, and you, you decided to flunk them in that college class that you led just because of that reason, that would probably, that would be discrimination. But is it wrong for the NCAA to not allow men to turn trans in order to swim in women's events? That would not be discrimination. See, it gets fuzzy. And there are legal issues that are, that they are beginning to work through these things together. And again, I mentioned this example, not to get us off on a rabbit trail, but to bring 1 Corinthians 6 into our day and age and to say, we must learn what it means to glorify God with our bodies. And that means that we live our lives in light of how God has made us and within the bounds of what he commands for us. And so husband and wife, if you're living together and you, um, you are not enjoying the pleasures of intimacy together, are you talking about why that is? Because sex is to be enjoyed within marriage. It is commanded by the Lord. And for some of us couples, that's a very intimate and very difficult subject to talk about. But in light of 1 Corinthians 6, and we'll see next week in 1 Corinthians 7, you should not separate from one another in that way except for a time and for prayer. So these things we do with our bodies are deeply personal because you're not your own. Husbands belong to wives. Wives belong to husbands. And we, in the spiritual sense, belong to Christ who is the head. Now, 
You glorify God in the body because you want to glorify God for the body. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. The way that you respond with your tongue or with your body language or with your life or where you go affects every person who's a member of this church, if you're a member, because we're one together of the body of Christ of whom he is the head. And he bought us a price, an infinite price of himself. And so, for example, if you meet somebody who, um, who, let's just take somebody who's trans. If you meet somebody who's trans, your role in that relationship should be to be slow to speak, uh, slow to speak and quick to listen as James 1 commands. You were to listen to them because there are four million, about four million babies born in the U.S. last year and a thousand of them actually were intersex. That means that they had male or female body parts, sometimes both actually. A thousand babies were born in the U.S. last year that that involves. And so some people really do struggle with that physically. So we want to be slow to speak and quick to listen. What's their situation? Can you imagine waking up one morning and feeling trapped in the body of the opposite? That'd be horrifying. So learn how to listen well to their stories and hear them and to allow the gospel to help shape you as you move into, because the way that you respond to people in the city, and there are people in the city who struggle with it, maybe even in this room or the watching, the way that we respond to that is part of our public witness. And the way that you respond to those people who confess sin, whatever the sin is, affects me. The way I do it affects you. And we have to learn how to be slow to speak and quick to listen. Always using the gospel as a framework for how to understand the changes in the culture so that we can be salt and light in it. Are you with me? What you do on Saturday night matters because you're connected together. What you do with the intimacy of your home, you think it's just the intimacy of your home, but the health and the reverberations of your marriage trickle out into the way that you lead and that you serve and that you minister to other people in this church. What becomes toxic in the dark eventually leads to toxicity in the light. And we have to be people who call each other back again and again to the gospel. That's what Paul was trying to get them to do and to see in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You are not your own. So glorify God in your body, with your body, and for the body of Christ. And that becomes part of our public witness together. Because we are distinct members, living stones, part of the holy temple of the Lord Jesus himself, who are given personal dignity and value and identity from God as unique creations. And as we experience the liberty that's offered to us in Christ through faith in him, we begin to see that our identity is wrapped up individually in the collective health of our local body together. Isn't that beautiful? And so when you come to the Lord's table in just a minute, you're coming on your own two feet, but you're coming to partake of a body together. Looking at each other in the eyes, you partake of the body and blood of Jesus. He's called you to be a community that's countercultural for the common good of the city. And we need not be surprised by sin when it comes, but we need to be quick to repent, quick to name it, and quick to run 
to listen well, slow to speak, quick to listen, quick to serve, and quick to see that you are not your own, but that you were bought with a price, and your Savior loves you, gave his life for you, and he suffered a physical death so that you might for all eternity exist in your resurrected body in his presence forever. Amen. This is one small piece of a gospel worldview that Paul tries to bring out in this chapter. May it resonate in our hearts as we come to the table. Father, we pray that you would help us to glorify you in our body. And if there are men or women in this room or within the sound of my voice who are struggling with sexual addictions, Lord Christ, would you provide healing for them? Would you give them the courage to come and seek help? Would you help them to run to repentance? Would you allow space for some not to perhaps take the Lord's Supper because they need to grow in repentance in that area this morning? Lord, I pray for trans brothers and sisters in this town who are confused about gender. Oh, Lord, would you open their heart and would you show them the beauty of the fact that you made us as we are for your glory, and that is a good thing. Lord, thank you that you are the creator and that we are not. And Jesus, I pray that as people come to this church who struggle with all sorts of things, that we can be the kind of church who welcomes them because the power of grace has been so at work in our life that we are glad, we are glad to be your hands and feet to help other people grow in knowledge and righteousness under your lordship. May it be so in this church. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Trinity, please visit our website at trinityowasso.com.